0: Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside of your race or comfort zone. This season of the podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the United Voice Oklahoma Podcast. I'm your host, Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Doe. And today, we are excited to welcome another friend of ours, both of ours. His
1: name is Corey Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Corey.
2: Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me today. I'm excited
1: about this. Yeah, this will be fun. So. Uh, Corey and I work together, but I'm just going to give you guys a little background. We are sitting with a Putnam City High School basketball standout, legend, uh, legend, state <laughs> championship back in 2002, uh, and uh, started his early career out at Sandridge Energy. Uh, that's where we met. Um, he was a corporate wellness professional there. Uh, also founded uh, Energy Basketball OKC, yes, um, an AAU basketball organization. So he's deep into that network um, and impacting kids uh, in, through the game of basketball. Love his heart for that, which we might get into. Uh, was at Heritage Hall uh, as a strength coach, basketball coach, uh, as, as well as director of diversity and inclusion. And then now he's the director at Oklahoma Athletic Center. Uh Corey uh, also talks about his son, CJ, a lot. Um, Dude's an athlete, a a young man of character, super talented in a lot of different areas, Um, great personality, all that stuff. You hear Corey um, talk about that. He's an amazing father. Uh, So, Corey, we're glad you're here with us today. I always refer to him as the Corey Smith because (laughs) I have several Corey Smiths in
0: my life, and and I want to make sure that they know I'm talking about the Corey Smith. I I usually have this gesture I usually have a gesture that goes with, no, the Corey Smith, mm-hmm. you know, that, that indicate the height, but he, he's the man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's the man. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I, I, can,
2: I can leave now. You We're know, facts. Okay. Get encouraged, and then just clear. leave. That's yeah, yeah, right. That's
1: right. <laughs> so, uh, Corey, let's just start off with a little bit of your background. Uh, Putnam City, but can you tell us a little bit about, um, did you always grow up in Oklahoma City? Are you Oklahoma City Oklahoma City guy? What was, what was your upbringing like?
2: Yes. Um, I was actually born in Chicago, but I've lived in Oklahoma City. Majority, I'm an Okie. I've been here for the majority of my life. Uh, I grew up over on the northwest side, uh, over on Lyrewood Lane, um, and went to Two Lakes Elementary, and that was a special time for me. And then, you know, I was always in the Putnam City School uh, District, you know, growing up, and, you know, basketball is a big part of my life, you know, growing up. And and taught me a lot of lessons and took me a lot of places, so I really... Enjoyed that time in my in my life as well, um, and then you know, kind of bounced around in co- different colleges and pl- you know playing college basketball, and ended up graduating from Northeastern State University uh, with health and exercise science degree, and and then took off with my career after that.
1: I love it. You've you've been in the basketball community for many many years. Um, you've also you know founded a, a basketball organization, uh, Energy Basketball OKC. What yes. what does that look like? Well, you said many, many, many years. You could have taken one of those many no, years. Let, let oh, many, many years. Let's see how far back. Do, do you
0: go are you at Two Lakes before the Lee Rowland? I was there before Mr. Okay, Lee so Rolling. That's yes. pretty far back, bro. Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. He was actually one of my AAU basketball coaches he was, back in the day. He's, oh, a, okay. he's a great So he man. still so, had a mentoring campaign. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. That's good. Um, but yes, I was there, you know, you can do the math. I graduated in two thousand two from Putnam City High School. So. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, what was your question? Again? I was just
1: saying you've been connected to the basketball community for many years. So uh, then, then you decide to to kind of launch your own basketball organization. What's kind of your heart behind that? What what does that look like? Where are you guys at right now? Well, yeah,
2: I mean, like most basketball players, we feel like our career ended quicker, you know, than we would ever hoped. You know, so um, once I started my professional career, I still wanted to, you know, pursue. You know, at least being around the game and uh, coaching was my way of doing that and and had some opportunities to um, just coach some teams here and there, you know, one one off, you know, little uh, little league teams. And then about 2016, somewhere around there, I decided to make it a legitimate organization and uh, grew my team from one team one summer to three to we've been up to 20 teams. Uh, you know, at one time. And, Love it. You know, it was really about basketball at first, you know, just because I loved the game of basketball and, and watching uh, kids develop and grow and learn. Uh, but then it just quickly turned into way more than that. You know, you see kids from every walk of life, every area, put and then putting them together, you know, and watching kids from Midwest City, Choctaw, Bethany, Piedmont, mixed with kids from Cassidy and Heritage Hall and Bishop McGinnis. And, you know, you see these kids who like, oh, I I don't see kids like you every day, you know, uh, at school or in my neighborhood. And, you know, it was just a natural, you know, just like merger of just all these different melting pot of of kids. And they teach us as adults a lot because they don't care. You know, they're (laughs) just kids, you know, and then you see – you know, kids spending the night at each other's houses and they become best friends. And it was—it's always a great feeling, being able to help facilitate that through basketball. You know, and obviously those lessons that you learn with sports—you know, youth sports—are always, always special. You know, as well too. So I—I uh, I love it. You know, like I said, my son is—I don't even coach him anymore. I just do this because I love you know working with with youth in that realm.
0: Yeah, I saw I saw in your bio, all these great things and and accolades, but one of the things that stands out as relates that would help us on this podcast is director of diversity and inclusion. And, uh, and I know a lot of our conversations that -hmm. that we've had uh, in in rooms full of people and just offline Mm -hmm. have been around just the things you're talking about is how do we, how do we be more inclusive? How do we respect diversity and how do we just kind of navigate the world as, as men of color and you've done that at at Heritage Hall. Can you talk a little bit about that? What that looks like, and, and what that experience is like?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's not it wasn't easy. You know, um, but it was rewarding at the same time. Absolutely. I, I, I'll take a step back and just say, like being a being even starting at Two Lakes Elementary, you know, um, it was a special place. And I didn't realize it at the time, but reflecting back on why I am like I am in a lot of ways um I grew up on Lyrewood Lane and anybody who grew up around there understands yeah, you got to explain it yeah, exactly you know Lyrewood, yeah. the L block is what we used to call it um <laughs> it was not the the best environment you know what I mean um and so you know you ha- we you have your struggles right um but you literally turn one corner and then you have this big old nice neighborhood with half a million dollar homes and those are the kids that you're going to school with as well. And you know, I remember going to my best friend's house in that neighborhood right around the corner, but he never came to my house. You know what I mean? Right. And but with that being said, my point is, is just like you I was I was able to connect with people from different, you know, backgrounds and walks of life that quickly in my life and I was able to continue to do that um, throughout my entire life in high school, college, and then even at Sandridge, you know, being a Fortune 500 company um, and having a leadership role there, you know, connecting with the different people. So going into diversity at Heritage Hall, um, connecting wasn't the hard part. It was um, I mean, being in a, the diversity and inclusion uh, realm, you know, in that in that field is it's a lot, you know, and it's relatively new in this region of the country and. I would say East Coast and probably on the West Coast is a lot more prevalent. You see diversity professionals, you know, a lot more often. Yeah. So it was more of a learning experience in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I, I remember coming to speak uh, mm-hmm. at Heritage Hall about the diversity and inclusion and talking about implicit bias and talking to teachers there. So hats off to Heritage Hall mm-hmm. One for, for uh, leading in this area and stepping into it because they are – I think how would you describe her to Charles Tito would you explain it's it's an exclusive or it's a it's a private school Yeah, private. Expensive, pricey yes. to go. Uh, so that eliminates a certain type of person. And so you're going to see when you walk the halls there you're going to see predominantly white uh, students, student body and white teachers. And so them stepping into this space, inviting me, invite and, and even uh, creating the role, is impressive. Absolutely, in, in my view. Absolutely. Right? And so we, I just got to give them a little shout out and hats off for, for doing this. So when you say it's tough, it's not uh, a backhanded slap or anything at Heritage oh, Hall no, because no, they're, no. they're they're really doing a, doing a good job. But talk about what what you actually did. What's the practical day to day look like?
2: Yeah. So when I was there, you know, it was a relatively new role. I believe maybe a year or two before I I started uh, in that role, they had started forming, you know, that department. And so we were in the beginning, it was education, you know, educating for my education for myself and and for our team um, because diversity and inclusion are two big words with a lot of different meanings, you know? So, and there's a lot of layers to it. So, in the beginning, it was just really making sure we were educating ourselves first before we were disseminating too much information, you know. And so, um, shout out to Whitney, shout out to Teresa, shout out to Michael McDaniels. Um, they were, you know, uh, on our team at the time, and uh, Teresa Turner still there. And so it was just it was a really fun opportunity to to dive into something that was completely, as far as on a professional level, foreign to me. Like you said, we've had many. Tough conversations about racial reconciliation and and how to navigate, you know, being a black man in Oklahoma um, in, in this time. And so having those conversations are easy, but being able to. Talk and communicate and touch people on a level who may not have thought about those conversations or who want to have those conversations, but don't know how to facilitate those conversations, you know, so just trying to figure out how to touch people in different ways, you know, so that was the hardest part, being able to, you know, because we didn't just focus on our students, you know, we did, like, we had, like, a diversity club, we did different initiatives throughout the year, you know, a lot of it was following, like, a diversity calendar, you know, and so doing different initiatives each month and sending out information, those type of things were happening from the beginning, and then we branched out into doing what we would call courageous conversations, where we would get professionals in. So we did like a racial reconciliation conversation. We did a had a conversation over politics, um, around the election time. Um, one over women's like um, like success in celebrating women. We you know we did a lot of touched on some really you know tough conversations. And so we would reach out to different professionals, and that was for our entire Heritage Hall community to take, a, take part in and learn from, you know, and like I said, once again, that's always a learning experience. <laughs> I will always consider myself a student, you know, and, and be able to learn from them. So um, day-to-day that was really our role and just trying to touch as many of the students as far as pouring into them and being a good positive influence on them every day.
1: I think part of that and some of that I heard you say is sharing uh, some of your story about being a black man in Oklahoma uh, and kind of educating on that. Uh, something that uh, a story that that you told, and this was years ago, and I think it stuck with a lot of us, is what it's like being a black man in corporate America. Yes, uh, and some of the the things that you encountered, um, things that you necessarily didn't share publicly at the time, or sure. just just the dynamics. And so, um, there's a story that I'd I'd love for you to share and, and kind of us unpack. You and I met when we were both at Sanders Energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were working in the wellness center. Yes, uh, I was in community outreach. Uh, we were both under the HR umbrella. So like you and I cross paths all the time. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't really work out. I carried a gym bag to like <laughs> trick people um to think and people I get on the elevator and be like, How how is workout? And was workout? Yeah. Like, I, I remember thinking <laughs> Corey's in the gym, but he don't work out either. He's oh, like, oh, he, I, cut that he, out. Look, he looks great, but I, was I was never working seen, hard, man. Hey, I was man, working I was hard. Like, man, I want his job. Oh, no. Yeah, like, no, it's cool. So I had I had some people tricked that I that I was actually in there. Um I'd mainly go in there just to talk with people, but Um, that's kind of where our paths crossed, um, at that time. And so Corey was always, uh, volunteering, uh, when we had community outreach opportunities, we were, uh, mentoring in, in schools on the East side. Um, we had toy dash, we had reading buddies, we had uh, just Mm -hmm. countless opportunities for people to serve. And Corey was a dude who was, who was there, um, all the time with it. Um, created flexible scheduling for his team as well because he was, he was a manager, so to be able to to be there and support, uh, and so I just got to see his heart uh, both for the community but also as a leader uh, in in that space, and so I'd love for you to tell uh, a story uh, about when you were managing the the wellness center the fitness center um, that was that was pretty impactful for me
2: for sure. Um, you know, one thing about being in that type of space, like in a corporate environment like that is, I'm, I'm six foot seven inches, you know, I'm a big guy, you know, and so um, I had to be very cognizant of how I approach people, you know, and, you know, being a black man, I felt like I had to be very aware that I need to make people feel comfortable, you know, um, around me, you know, and I mean, obviously once you form a relationship with someone, That kind of you know their guard comes down but it's never I feel like that's already it's a bit of a disadvantage you know that I have to be careful and clear to make people feel like they are they can be comfortable around me you know Um, and so that's always a challenge that's a challenge every day you know but in that environment being uh, definitely being a minority in that environment uh, was always um, something that I had to be aware of you know so I mean, there was a time I do. We were talking about it that um, you know we'd have you know equipment vendors and and folks come in and try to sell us stuff, and I was the manager at the time, and um, you know I was in, I had the front office, you know, right when you walk in, and um, the the vendor came in and and walked past me and walked to one of my employees who was significantly younger than I was at the time, and assumed. That this young white male employee was me, you know, and that was the boss he, he was the boss, and it was just like hmm, you know um to me I, I, it was definitely insulting, but when those things happen like you like a duck, let it roll off your back you know what I mean and because it's it's not a surprise, you know what I'm saying like but it's still disappointing you when, know when things like you that
0: didn't happen. you didn't address it then. So you let it roll. Like, yeah, I'll let how it happen. You how do you first. get Yeah, exactly. I let it go. Yeah, I'll let how it far go did first. you let this incident go before? Well, no, he,
2: my, my employee actually pointed him in the right direction, you know, to me, and so.
0: And what was that? So let, let me guess how this goes. Oh, I'm sorry, and he apologizes to the employee,
2: not to you. Well, yeah, he apologized to me did he? as well. Okay. All right, like I said once again, I don't know how he didn't see me. <laughs> you know, I don't hide very well. Um, yeah, but he apologized to me and and pretended like he didn't see me there. You know what I mean? In I get the you. front bigger office right when you walk in. You know, so it was, it was, you know, like I said, not surprising. Disappointing, but not surprising. And, but you but like you
0: that. don't address it. Like you just go do business.
2: Absolutely. But we didn't do business with them. <laughs> but you, you <laughs> but get to decide that. Exactly. Right? You get to Absolutely. decide that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And,
0: and so what was the conversation like with your, did, did you, was there was a follow-up conversation with, your employee or how does, how does Taylor Doe know about this story is what I'm saying. Why is it significant to you?
2: It's significant to me because it's a reminder, you know, for me that, you know, regardless of the work, you know, sometimes you have to um, always be cognizant of people might overlook you, you know, and think that you may not, or shouldn't be, or why is he, you know, in that role? You know what I mean? So, I don't take offense to it cuz I know I was deserving of where I was. I worked very hard to be where I, you know, was at the time. So, um and I was very proud. I loved the company that I was working for too. So, you know, it was nothing but that individual uh having a bias or, you know, just some perception of what the wellness manager should look like, <laughs> you know, in that, you know, in that space and you know, hopefully he learned from it.
0: Yeah, maybe well, not. And we talk about that. Like he may not have meant anything Mm -hmm. racist by the behavior. It just wasn't in tune to seeing a black Mm -hmm. man in charge Mm -hmm. of in his industry. And so he just defaulted to what he normally sees or what fit his eye as a person in charge. And, and that is where I guess we'll call it an insult or a slight or miss. Yes. Opportunity happens in, Intentional or not, but it is still the same, right? For sure.
1: Absolutely. And and, and what I would add to that is and, and what really stuck out to me was that's not gonna really happen to me <laughs> for sure. at Sandridge. Yeah. Right? Like that mm. that's not that day Corey had to pay a tax mentally and emotionally for some guy coming in mm-hmm. and in and, and disrespecting him. Uh in that way, or just assuming, you know, it's like all the things that were going through his brain, and and he knows that he worked hard and all this, but there hasn't been a time that that's happened to me or many other people in the mm-hmm. corporate setting um, for that for that kind of specific thing. And so when people ask, like, well, you know, what's the di- why mm-hmm. is it so hard in court? You know, it's like mm-hmm. why, why, why all this? Like these are some of the things that happen in the real life. Like this is a real life story. Yeah. Um, And and yet we still categorize it as a micro thing. Right. mm -hmm.
0: I remember, I don't know if I ever told it on this podcast before, but um, we talked about it before. I think we've talked about it before is I was a a police officer in a suit and tie with my badge and gun on. And I go to the hospital to visit my grandson who had had an asthma attack. And I, and, and I walk all through the hospital to go to the, Fifth, sixth floor, whatever it is. I see uh, one of the uh, officers in the lobby. That was a retired Oklahoma City police officer. Hey, how you doing? You have been retired how long? You know, with some, some with some connection there, and and I go on up to my room, and I'm visiting. I'm sitting there visiting. Get a knock at the door, and here is another security officer visiting. Uh, and he knew that I knew the other guy. So we're just kind of friendly talking. And he says, I just, I knew it was you. What do you mean you knew it was me? So we got a call from the nurse's station saying that there was a man with a badge and a gun on, and they wanted me to check it out to make sure it was really a police officer. Wow. (laughs) And I'm like, who, I'm a a police impersonator is now visiting a kid in the hospital with a gun and a badge on and a tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a tie. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't um, and the reason I'm 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 pointing it out because it connects to what happened to you is it was insignificant. I'm not going to get in trouble. I had my ID. I knew the officers mm-hmm. that came to check on me. It didn't it wasn't anything, but the damage emotionally was what else do I got to do? Mm-hmm. To prove Absolutely that I am legitimately who I present myself to be. Mm-hmm. But never mind, I'm just going to go and visit, you know, and I don't even talk about it. I mean, I don't even, mm-hmm. I just know that the next time I need to wear my jacket, I need to leave my gun in my car, or I need to smile and shake hands to everybody and say, hi, hi, do you mm-hmm. see my badge? Mm-hmm. I'm, are you comfortable with me? It's just all this extra stuff that, that, like you said, I know my brothers and sisters in uniform that wear the gun and the badge are not having to deal with Mm-hmm. And the other part of that is when I tell the story, they go, well, you know, it didn't have to be because of your race. It could have been, you know, there's an extra security thing because people don't normally wear guns in the hospital or something like mm-hmm. that. I get it. But in my mind and in my heart, I know exactly what it is. For sure. I know exactly what it is.
1: And, and that's, that's really what I think is heavy. And for people to sit with this who are listening is there's, a, there's an assumption that you don't belong in that place, or something's mm-hmm. off, or mm-hmm. or that that little thought of something's something's out of the ordinary right now, and so I need to investigate this or or see this. Um, and that's not in in to not downplay it. That is a, a mental and emotional tax that you guys have to pay on a on a daily basis, weekly basis, whatever these interactions, the spaces that you move mm-hmm. in and out of. That living in Oklahoma, a predominantly white state Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma city, predominantly white city, you know, people like me do not have to to think about that stuff as we walk into a room. Um, We're welcome. We're greeted. Uh, I literally had an incident with hospital security uh, last week. Oh, you did. I was visiting a kid and uh, I didn't check in on the right floor. (laughs) So it, Hospitals are already crazy, right? So I I don't check in on the right floor. I check in on the fourth floor. You're supposed to check in on the seventh for the for the NICU and then go down to the right floor. And I just went straight, fourth floor, the lady scanned my badge, kind of having some problems. I was just like, I know exactly where the place is. You know, I was like, I've I've been here three other times. So he let me go and next thing we know, we get a phone call in the NICU in one of the nurses and it's security. And Literally in a span of like fifteen seconds, it was resolved. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's here. He, he knows next time just to go to the seventh floor. And, yeah. You know, do was it. yeah. like, all right, like that was literally it. No mm-hmm. security guard came. No mm-hmm. one rechecked me. Nothing. I'm not trying to get security in trouble at this hospital, and I won't say who it is. But you know, it was, it was just kind of that. It's like it's okay. You know, he's he's here now, and we're yeah. It's the it's the prep work ahead
0: of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the physical prep work and the mental prep work to go and it's and it's so routine mm-hmm. right it's so routine that i literally have to be talking about it to even highlight sure. it right Absolutely. i don't even notice it that mm-hmm. i'm doing it so we we often prep when we're having facilitating this conversation is how often do you think about your race is the question that we ask mm-hmm. and depending on who you ask uh people of color think about it constantly like they don't not Absolutely. to think about it. There's never a time they're not thinking mm-hmm. about it because they have to adjust and prep for it, mm-hmm. it all the time. Mm-hmm. And and my white friends often go, you know, well, you think about it. I don't think about it until I end up being the only in a room or mm-hmm. in a space. Mm-hmm. So it, not that often. And and that's in Oklahoma. Corey, tell us about the time that you and I. And I remember you telling this story, and I was like I was so connected with it because I was like, "There's the prep. There's mm-hmm. the prep." Mm-hmm. You, and you were talking about uh, you were you were doing a kind of a side job of buying mm-hmm. and selling cars.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah, this was probably uh, six or so years ago. You know, I used to you know buy cars, fix them up, resell them. So um, I found a great, amazing deal on a car, and it was in Kansas City. You know, so I was like, you know, it's worth the drive, you know. So I'm like, you know what, I'm a, you know, I called the dealership, you know, had it all set up, you know, prior. And so I needed, you know, someone to go with me, you know, to pick this car up and, you know, the new car and drive it back, right? So I had a cousin. He was actually, you know, living with me at the time. He's like 20, 21 years old, you know, younger guy. And so, you know, I like, hey, I'm gonna leave work. We're gonna head out. I'm gonna pick you up and let's hit the road. Drive to Kansas City, pick the car up. You follow me back, and you know I will go to pick him up, and he comes outside, uh, t-shirt, hat on backwards, you know, looking like a 20 year old. You know, uh, we're going to pick up a car and drive in 10 hours round trip. You know, so like I'm gonna be, be comfortable. comfortable, right? Be comfortable, exactly right? for sure. Um, I told him to go back in the house and change clothes because either driving my car, which is a nicer, newer car, or driving a new car with a paper tag on it at 20 years old and possibly getting pulled over on that five-hour drive back from Kansas City to Oklahoma. I was like, I want to protect him from any potential mishap because he doesn't look like the person who should be driving that car. And um, that's something that I remember that that time, it was a lot of things going on in the news. So I was already like heightened, you know, like racial, like tension in the air. And so it was already something that, it was on my heart, you know, on a, on a regular basis anyways. And so I would hate for him at 20 years old to be in any danger, especially if it was anything that had to do with me, you know, for just being a 20 year old black man driving a car that's not his.
0: At at 20, do you think he, Register the understanding, or is he thought you were being like overcautious, or did he go? Oh yeah, right. I overlooked that one.
2: He no, he. I mean, he trusts me, so he right. he he did what I asked him to do, and I paid him too. So to, <laughs> to, to to go on the trip with me, so he was working with me, right? But no, it was more of a. He, it didn't register and hit him really why we were doing it. You know, he was just doing it because his big cousin was looking out for him, and you know, wanted to make sure he was safe. Um, but yeah, no, he would have never thought about you know something like that because he's just being himself, which that's what we should all do: is be ourselves and be able to dress how we want and go where we want unapologetically. And we don't necessarily have that luxury as black men at times.
0: I'm I'm curious: do you have do you have an experience that formed that, or was that taught to you through the talk, or did you just did did you know go, you know what? that experience is because of the way I looked or that experience. Because, was there something that formed that attitude in you or was that the,
2: no, like I said, it was, I was already like, I can't remember which, you know, like national, you know, <laughs> story. It was something really like that was on my heart at the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm already conditioned to it anyways at any, you know, but at that time it could have been, it was, I, I believe it was like a, a police shooting or something. And it was, um, so it was something that, for me just in that moment of time that I I'm, I'm so grateful, um, that it was on my heart and mind to, to do that, you know, and we were able to get back home safely, you know, with no incidents. So so it was nice, but yeah, it was nothing that necessarily happened to me directly for me to feel that specific moment to do that. But I, I mean, we've all had that talk of, you know, Hey, get home safely. You know what I mean? Um, Wear your seatbelt. Don't speed. If you get pulled over, have your stuff ready. Yes, sir. No, sir. Even if it's for no reason at all. I've been pulled over uh, countless times for what you know. And One so, because I'm gonna say this. One, but probably because you're not a good driver. One.
0: That's possible. (laughs) That is
1: possible. I will admit,
2: but there's been times I wasn't. I (laughs) was. I that up for
1: what percent?
2: thirty percent. Speeding might be one reason. No, no. But you know, it happens to. You know, it it does happen more than it should. You know, and so, um, you know, I want. I wanted him and my son, seventeen. You know, he'll be eighteen at the end of the summer. You know, he'll be a grown man. Um, So, making sure that he's equipped. You know, and can get back home to dad. You know, so.
1: Uh, My parents live in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. just north of Tulsa. I think my dad's been pulled over like once in the last like 40 years living in the town. (laughs) He's not that good of a driver. (laughs) He's a good driver, but he's not that good. (laughs) He didn't take driving lessons, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure he's not used his blinker and, you know, done these things. But what what I'm hearing in in kind of two of these stories is the interactions and the things that happen just in normal life. Mm Mm-hmm. This is work. This is, let me, I I bought a car. This is a fun thing, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the side gig, making a little money. I'm going to the grocery store. Cubit has a story that he's told over and over about, you know, uh, using a a grocery sack every time, you know, you come out, come out of a store. Um, That was nothing that was ever on my radar um, I'm like eating the donut as I walk out of the, mm-hmm. of the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Grouchy's> no, but <laughs> no, 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 you better not <laughs> open that. Uh uh-uh. And so it, it comes back to kind of these, these day to day interactions that just ordinary life that you're having to change your pattern. There's extra thought, there's extra intention around certain mm-hmm. things that you do. Uh, your son uh, is like we kind of said in the intro, uh, amazing young man, great character, great sense of humor, athletic, uh super bright future. Uh you have just I've I've seen your Instagram, you know, you and I have talked just about how you're invested in him. Uh he also has things that he faces day to day. Um there's a story that you shared with me recently um about his hair and was wondering if you could you could share that with us.
2: For sure. Um yeah, so yeah, again CJ, he's 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 my you know that's my guy. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, Corey Junior. He's not a mini me anymore. He's six feet six inches, so he's another me. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah. so, um, that's right. He has grown. He so has grown. He's guy. a big guy. So yeah, you know, in our culture, you know, our hair is a big deal to us. You know, if we have it. Oh,
0: oh <laughs> get back!
1: Oh,
2: hey, you, you throw you, that jab at me. That's good. You came at him at the I, so right? I deserve it. I deserve he's coming it. back. Um, you know, and so you know it. And if you if you watch, you know, any sports or you go to any high school in year round, you know, especially black males, you know, they they have, you know, a lot of, you know, long hair, curly hair, you know, some have dreads, some have braids. I mean, you know, all different kind of hairstyles. And I remember, you know, back in the day, you know, Allen Irison braids and all those things like we've always, you know, you know, been creative, you know, with our hair, you know, and that's just a part of, you know, our culture. And so, you know, CJ is. He is a very like well liked kid, you know, at at school, and um, you know he, you know, kind of keeps to himself. He does he, he doesn't, you know, he's big enough so he doesn't need to try to get any any extra attention, you know, um, and so you know he, I remember I was actually not in town over the one weekend, and he called me and said, hey dad, I want to, he has a you know a curly afro. He's like dad, I just want to do like some little twists, like little like almost like braids. In his hair, And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I knew a young lady who actually works for me who does that part-time. So, you know, he met up with her, you know, twisted his hair up on a Saturday. He was all excited. He FaceTimed me right after he was done, sent me a picture, you know, like a different look. You know, his his girlfriend liked it. You know, know, so he was feeling himself, you know. So uh, Monday, he, you know, I'm back home. Um, He goes to school Monday morning. School starts at 830, and he calls me by 9 a.m., in the ba- in the restroom, in the boys' bathroom, because he's, he's taking his hair down. Mm. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, he was like, you know, before school even started, he hadn't even you know he haven't even made it to lunch yet. You know, mm. he's like, uh, you know, people are coming up, you know, grabbing my hair, like making jokes, you know, like bringing all this extra attention to it to the point where he was so uncomfortable and self conscious. You know, I would say bullying. Um, that he literally biggest kid in school mm-hmm. felt like he needed to mm-hmm. go back to what was acceptable, comfortable, and under the radar, and that oh I I'm pissed it, I'm pissed me off I don't know what you're gonna say or <laughs> not, not but like, that's I am it, it, annoyed it, it, I, was, yeah. I was I was I was not I wasn't happy I was yeah. I, I I was hurt for him mm-hmm. you know what I mean just because minding his own business, you know. But in, in certain spaces when people aren't used to seeing kids with different hairstyles dressed differently, um, it could be a shock. And instead of letting that person be themselves, they want to make light of it and, you know, poke fun. Even if it's, quote, unquote, just joking, it's not funny, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, resolution, I mean, I, we I, – let him check out of school. We fixed his hair back, talked him into keeping it for a couple of days, you know, and you know, he made it through a couple of days and he's taking it out, but you know what? To this day, he still won't do it again. The pressure. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Damage is already done. Mm -hmm. You know, like
0: there's a certain amount of that, like that's hair. And I think that's a good, good example of what, um, I would, I would say we call this, um, being bilingual. Uh, it, it, so we, we're able to fit in wherever we go. These And when I say we, usually African-Americans that are in the corporate world or the professional mm-hmm. world, uh, in upper middle management or whatever, learn to go, This learn what works, mm-hmm. what fits in that doesn't really, um, it may not be culturally acceptable at work or in this space. And I'm the only or I'm a minority in this space. So I just won't do it. It's easier for me to be um, white when I go back home in my neighborhood and my my house. That's acceptable as well. But it's very hard for me to be black in in a, in a white world. Mm-hmm. And so it's just let let me just fit in as much as I can. And what that does to you uh, as a as an individual, that's what really annoys me. Is be who you were made to be. Mm-hmm. Don't fit in, mm-hmm. right? You don't. You don't have to fit in. You were made to stand out, absolutely. And that's what we're trying to teach our kids. And I'm sure that's what your conversation was like with your kid. Mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, how you're going to address this uh, as I'm going forward because he still has a whole big old
2: world in front of him, for sure. Yeah, um, I'm proud of him, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you know, thing about school, every school has problems. Every, every school, you know, so it's not like a isolated deal. Um, but you know, for him, I'm proud of him for always wanting to be himself. You know, he doesn't get sucked into um, fitting in, you know. And so I told him the best, nobody can be him better than him, you know, and continue to, you know, figure out what you love to do, you know, figure out, you know, uh, what direction you want to go, you know, in life. And I'm going to support him in that, you know, and don't apologize, you know, for anything that you feel is right for you, you know? And so, and, and he stands on that and he knows that he has support. And so just as a parent, I just encourage other parents to, um, make sure you have those conversations just to make sure your kids know that you have their back, you know, because it may seem insignificant to us at times, but it's the biggest thing in their world. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sure. Um, and so I make sure, you know, I try my best, um, to make sure that he knows that, you know, his dad is there, you know, and and he has that support.
1: And, and I think that that segues into the importance of the work you were doing within the school. Mm-hmm. Like sure, this sure. is full circle. We started off with mm-hmm. what were you doing at this school? Uh, mm-hmm. Diversity, you know, DEI work. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that important? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the a way that it plays out is actually a teacher being in the hallway and being able to identify the situation mm-hmm. and being able to, to help students work this out. Sure. Or students being aware, I know you're hosting these conversations with students, students being aware enough that this isn't appropriate. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, actually, there's value that is brought in our differences. Yes. And that needs to be known from the C-suite at a publicly traded company all the way down to uh, an elementary school where kids are different. And there's there's Mm -hmm. value in difference. Um, There's points of view um, people see around different corners um, based on their life experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And until that's valued, I think we actually are leaving a lot of value on the table um, by not seeing people for who they are, for their Mm -hmm. life experiences and how they see the world. And so,
0: yeah. And let me qualify. I think when, and I'm going to speak for me and Corey can speak for himself on this, but when I said I'm pissed off about what happened to his son and his hair, I'm not pissed off at a kid or individual or even the institution I'm am mad because his son is making an adjustment as he's trying to figure out who he is, uh, because of the environment. And it's it's so I'm, well, I'm not mm-hmm. mad at a person, mm-hmm. or I'm not mad at a, a at somebody that did a racist thing. That's not it. It's like golly, sure. Here here's a young man trying to figure out mm-hmm. who he is, what he likes, what he wow, doesn't I'm like, so. and this is an important part of his uh, mm-hmm. his development. And hair is so important mm-hmm. in this community. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why. And I and if you're like me, I probably didn't want the twisties or whatever. But he's going. That's him. Let him figure it out yeah. for himself. Just like for I was sure. figuring it out for me for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. It will change. It will change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah. No. I mean, you're. You, I mean, you're spot on. I agree. It's just like you shouldn't have to change your environment to be accepted. Yeah. You know what I mean. And that's. And that's kind of the importance of, you know, that DEI work is trying to open up eyes and minds, you know, and hearts to just realizing we are different. But in a lot of ways, we're a lot lot alike, too, and celebrating the differences and highlighting the ways that, you know what, that's a great idea. And we would have never known that if it wasn't if someone wasn't a little bit different than mm-hmm. you know than me or came from somewhere that I haven't been or so Perfect. on and so forth. So, um, yeah, you shouldn't have to change your location, you know, to, to uh, make that happen. Where do
0: you find the hope in all the work and and the stuff you do? Cause it's, it's uh, it's really tough. Uh, mm-hmm. Today's environment, uh, the, the way they think, especially in education, they have this big CRT anti-CRT, mm-hmm. whatever that mm-hmm. is stuff. But, Let's end by you talking about where you find hope in, in the work and in the community.
2: My hope is in the youth. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's so much easier to mold, you know, <laughs> but I, I mean, I do, I feel like um, there's been a shift, you know, I think people are, and especially um, people are, is it uh, more of an ability to have a bigger platform. You don't have to be um, some superstar or professional to be able to have a voice and to create, This podcast is amazing, right? Like this would be hard to do 10, 15 years ago. um, But just creating these conversations, coming up with creative ideas. And when you're feeling like this is something you're charged to do and it's really in your heart, go for it. You know what I mean? And, And don't apologize, but you can't wait you know don't sit back and wait for things to change we got to make it happen ourselves you know so that's 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 me I just want to continue to challenge myself and challenge other people just to be better and whatever I'm doing you know so any type of work I'm doing sports you know fitness you know with education just try to be the best version you know of yourself
1: I love it Corey thank you for being our guest today Uh, We loved having you here. Love having these types of conversations. We really appreciate you taking time to listen. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks, Corey. Uh, As always, we seek
0: common ground for common good. I am Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Doe. And this is the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app and if you like what you hear leave us a review please share the show with your friends and family it really helps us to get the conversation out to more people this podcast is a production of united voice oklahoma one of the initiatives of the stronger together movement and is produced by okc good this current season is made possible by the generous support of the oklahoma city black justice fund